Hey everyone, this is Heidi St. John. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet, which I've relocated, as you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube today, to the Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky. Today I've got Martin Isles with me. You guys are gonna love this conversation. Stick around, I think you're gonna be encouraged. Well, everybody knows because we've been watching the news that the culture is on fire, right? It seems like five days a week when we bring the podcast to you, we're talking about things that are happening, really outrageous things politically. We're having discussions now around the dinner table as to whether or not men can become women. I just saw a man uh, grace the cover, if you want to call it that, of Brides Today magazine. There are so many issues that we can be talking about today. And I'm thrilled today to have an, a, to a really incredible young man on the show with me. I just met him here at the Ark Encounter. You guys are going to love him. Martin Isles is with me. He's an Australian attorney. He's a commentator and a preacher. He was the managing director of the Australian Christian Lobby, one of Australia's largest political movements from 2018 to 2023. And ACL's bringing truth into the public square through people-powered campaigns, parliamentary lobbying, and mainstream and alternative media. And previously, Martin was the co-founder of the Human Rights Law Alliance, which is a law firm. Wow, you are not sitting around letting grass grow under your feet. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Heidi. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's been a crazy 10 years, that's for sure. Lots of things have been done. It's been great. Well, we are desperate in the culture right now for people who will speak with courage and clarity and conviction into really the space that the church has abandoned, I believe, for many generations. And so now... Here we are. We are openly talking about transgenderism in the culture. I don't know if you saw the cover of Brides Today magazine. Uh, I did. It reached Australia, believe it or not. Did it really? (laughs) It really did. Uh, They're not even embarrassed anymore. I mean, we're putting we're putting a dude on the cover. I mean, this guy's not even trying to be a woman. A bearded guy. He's a hairy guy. And I think, man, you know, you you try to dress up in this country in blackface, and boy, I'll tell you what, you're in trouble. But you can do it in woman face, and that's really cool and woke. What What do you think? Well, it's how they normalize things, isn't yeah. it? I mean, when you do something that's completely outrageous once, everyone says that's completely outrageous. Mm-hmm. But when you do something completely outrageous 10 times, yeah. people's barriers start to drop. Yeah. And it's got to that point now where they're being completely outrageous just to lower people's barriers to what's crazy and what's you know perverse and what's yeah. wrong. Uh, and it's a making a mockery of women. A, yeah. a man can dress up. And yeah. he becomes a woman. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's outrageous. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's dangerous. It's outrageous and it's dangerous. It is. Uh, the first time I met you was on a phone call, on a phone call with our friend Ken Ham. Yes, and right. we were talking about the state of education in the United States. And you were just talking about how quickly things are normalized, right? We're now normalizing uh, transgender men, normalizing transgender women. I, I agree with you. I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. of these outlandish ads and, uh, you know, Bud Light and all of it. I mean, oh, yeah. for goodness sake. Yeah. But I want to talk to you about the importance of truth in education and why our young people are being targeted the way that they are. Mm-hmm. I have a 31-year-old daughter, as you know, and a 12-year-old daughter. Yep. And I am raising my 12-year-old in a very different world than yes. I was raising my 31-year-old daughter in conversations right. that to me would have been absolutely unthinkable 10 years ago, our conversations I am having to engage with, with my 12-year-old. Mm. And the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of young minds. Yes. And I'm curious to know, because people say, well, it's just education, Heidi. Why do you, you, know, why do you care? It's reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's just school. Uh, get over it. Mm. What say you? 
Well, education really is at the core of how you change a society. Yep. I mean, if you get the minds of the young people, then you've got the minds of a generation. And mm -hmm. it's not long before that generation is in a position of influence, a position of power. And if you can shape their minds a certain way, it's not long. You've just got to wait a few years and yeah. you shape the entire culture a certain way. Mm -hmm. And what you see in education at the moment is an awful lot of lying ideologies. Yep. You see the influence of postmodern thinking. You see the influence of the uh, critical theories, including critical race theory, yeah. but also queer theory and mm -hmm. stuff like that. The radical environmentalism kind of movement as well. And I could go on. Cultural mm -hmm. Marxism, the whole business. Mm -hmm. You see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And all these ideas are being forced onto kids not just in like social studies or uh, subjects right. like that. It's right. like mathematics now. Yeah, in every subject. Your math problem is yeah. now about, you know, Johnny who has two dads. Right, and your story problem that exactly. used to be, you know, annoying. I hate story problems. But now these are story problems that are not just teaching math. Mm. This is an ideology that's being pushed in every subject in school. It's right across the whole curriculum. It's mm -hmm. absolutely everywhere. And so there are so many lies out there and young people are being steeped in these lies. And importantly, um, and you had Ken Ham on here as well. And importantly, Ken would point this out as well. What's going on is that these lies, they attack God, ultimately. Yeah. They attack God's authority as the creator. You talked about a man being on the front of the magazine, bride, yeah. the bridal magazine. Yeah. Uh, what's the problem there? Well, who says what a man or a woman is? God does. God does. Uh, who says what marriage is, what a bride is? God does. Mm -hmm. uh, you can look at so many other issues. There's the race issue, which is tearing this country apart. Yeah. Who says there's one human race? God does. Uh, you can look at um, the environmental stuff and who says when the apocalypse will happen, when the planet will end. God, God does. does, right? Yeah. And all of this is actually an attack on God. And mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's reversing uh, kids' worldview so that they no longer believe in God and they no longer accept God's ways, but instead they believe in themselves. And they think that they can be raised up and be like gods to mm -hmm. say, no, I'll be whatever gender I want, whatever sexuality I want, I'll mm -hmm. define marriage for myself, I'll understand the world through my own lens and so it's actually an anti-God movement. And this is why you need people who are bold enough uh, and who are strong enough to stand up for what is true, to cut through all of those lies so that young people can see the truth. And I have a very strong belief that the truth speaks for itself. Mm. When people hear the truth, some people hate it, but some people know it's true. And you just need the voices to be speaking it so that those who know it's true, who know what they're listening to, can be changed by it. Yeah. And that's why you need those voices in education. Yeah, I agree. And I've been saying for a while that the only answer to a bold lie, the bold lie of transgenderism, the bold lie of gay marriage, uh, the bold lie that abortion doesn't take a human life, mm. uh, the only answer to a bold lie is bold truth. That's right. And we know that bold truth is defined for us in scripture. And yet we've watched as generations of pastors have stopped declaring this bold truth from the pulpits. And so mm. now we're living in a time mm. of incredible deception. When we can be so easily deceived to think that we've got to have conversations about whether or not men can become women or vice versa. Yeah. And now we're watching this, this generation of Christians who they know the modern worship songs, right? We can raise our hands and sing with the best of them, but we don't know God's word and we can't defend it. That's exactly uh, right. How important is it that we again start uh, seeing this return of what I would call the black robe regiment, these bold uh, men and women of the gospel again proclaiming that there's no that subjective truth isn't isn't uh, isn't reality. We need to come back to the truth of Scripture and believe again that Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, mm -hmm. and the life." You mm -hmm. and I were talking about this before the show. Uh, that I, in fact, you said maybe you'd agreed with me on this. I first heard 
the term Your Truth from Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right? we did too. Yes. yes. I first heard it from Oprah Winfrey Isn't as well. that amazing? Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. we were born just a few years apart from yes. each other. Yes. But I heard Oprah Winfrey talking about this probably mm. in the mid 80s, you know, sitting there having my after school yes. snack. And here she is on the Oprah Winfrey show saying that she had found her truth. And I remember yes. just scratching my head going, wait a second. You know, I, I always understood that there was just one truth. It's either true or it isn't. It's either yes. right or it's wrong. Yes. But that has permeated society. Mm. Look, it has. And you made a comment before, which I think is really important, which we're dealing with a problem where so many, including pastors and including mm -hmm. others, and not all, of course, I'm making a generalization, but people who should be strong and firm in telling the truth uh, yeah. don't seem to be addressing these issues. And Why? don't seem to be able to find the words or the courage or something. Yeah. One thing I think that's going on is that we've 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 taken this view that to love someone yeah. is to make them feel good. Yeah. You know, it's like everything else. God's no longer at the center of our thinking. You know, people's feelings are. Yeah. And if God's at the center of your thinking, you know that love is defined by God. Mm -hmm. God says what's in someone's best interests. Mm -hmm. God says how you love them, what interests mm -hmm. of theirs you're supposed to serve. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if someone's feelings is at the center of the world, it's weird how this is all connected, right? The whole trans thing. It's all about someone's feelings being yeah. at the center of reality. And validating those feelings. And what's gone wrong is that too many Christians and too many spokespeople have believed the lie that feelings are at the center of how we should engage with people. Uh, and so they think love is about making people feel good. But there's a passage in the Bible uh, where Jesus meets the rich young ruler. It's very fascinating. You read that story and you'll see it says Jesus looked on him and loved him. That's what it says. But a few sentences later, that rich young ruler walks away from Jesus sad. And that is so countercultural today where people go, wait a minute, Jesus loved him and made him sad. Yeah. Like, how does that work? <laughs> and not only that, Jesus loved him and let him walk away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But see, Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth that he needed to hear. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Not he didn't he didn't he didn't tell him the truth he wanted to hear because that's not love. You're not serving this guy's interests according to God. And we need people who love the world that way, mm. who are prepared to go out there and say, no, this is the truth we need. This is the wisdom of God for your life. This is how we serve this world's highest and best interests mm. with the truth of God. Yeah. And we need to get that. Um, and I think that's one of the crucial things that lies at the center of this sort of compromise that we see mm. all around us. We've got to get that memo. And when we do, uh, not a, we, we will no longer be ashamed of the truth mm -hmm. and the effects that it has. And we won't be surprised when it makes some people angry. Mm -hmm. And we won't be surprised when it makes some people sad. And we won't be surprised when, as God promises, it is fruitful with some people and it changes their lives for the better. Mm -hmm. And we need to be strong enough to love people like that. We need to put God back at the center of our thinking in the way we speak and in all that we do. How do you talk to the, a generation who's been told to sort of be quiet, that your faith is something that you keep to yourself? We keep our faith inside the four walls of our churches. Uh, you and I had this conversation briefly yesterday, you know, uh, when we spoke about my run for Congress, the church has been told from the pulpit now for generations, oh, we don't engage in that thing, right? Uh, it's, it should be the gospel or politics, the gospel or education, the gospel or entertainment. Hmm. But the Bible speaks a much different message 
And I think it's a gospel and the gospel and politics, the gospel and education. How do we get How do we get this message to the rising generation who have really been left with the ashes of a misapplied theology and they're struggling under the weight Mm -hmm. of it, right? Because we've sacrificed truth on the altar of a misguided mercy. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm always trying to work out where that kind of division came from, Yeah, where they're like, oh, no, only this bit's the gospel. Uh, You know, the the message that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, put your faith in him and be saved. That's the gospel. Nothing else is the gospel, right? right, Nothing else. Right. That's the gospel or. Well, 1 Corinthians 15 says that those are the things of first importance in the gospel. That's the foundation stone, right? So great. You've got the foundations. But when the Apostle Paul wrote Romans, he wrote 16 chapters about the gospel. And he began with an analysis of a God-rejecting culture. And then he began with the, the realities of the sin in his world. He began with the denial of God that's out there, the people who look at the evidence and believe in alternative theories to, you know, there is a real God. Uh, he talked about paganism. He talked about the exaltation of the self, putting self at the center of everything, like we just said. And he deconstructs all of that. And Paul talks about that in the book of Romans when he's talking about the gospel. And you think, well, what relevance does that have to the gospel? It has a lot of relevance. Not only does it establish the need for the gospel, but also uh, it shows us that uh, the gospel has a place uh, in, or the gospel is spread by our testimony at large in society. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you go and look at what Jesus said about our role in the world, Mm -hmm. he said, you are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. You are the salt of the earth. He said that we had a mission to the world at large. And when he talks about, well, what is salt? uh, There's a sense there in which he's saying, you know, you need to be the one that doesn't compromise on your convictions because salt loses its taste when the environment that it's sitting in compromises it, the moisture seeps into it. So he's saying, hold fast. Don't let the world you're in change you, compromise you and your convictions and your beliefs. But the important one then is the light of the world. And he says, what is the light of the world? The light of the world is when you are seen for your good works in the world. You're not hiding away. You're not under a basket, but you are doing good works. And you go, well, what's a good work? Well, I tell you what, going out into your vocation every day and being a witness for Jesus and upholding the truth of the Bible, that's a good work, right? Uh, Having a Christian family that is an incredible testimony to uh, God's model for families, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good work. And it's interesting, all of these things are testimonies to the gospel itself. Mm. But we've drawn a line and we've said, oh, well, no, the gospel is just about what's in my little head. The gospel is not about how I'm living. The gospel is not about what I'm doing as I'm thrust out into the world. And I have found in my work, which is in the public squares, which is in the political spheres, which is in those sorts of areas, you wouldn't believe how that the testimony of just an issue of truth can ignite an interest in someone who says, what's that all about? Mm. And then they start asking questions. And what happens is what Jesus promised, which is he says that when you are the light of the world and your light shines before people and you do your good works, he says they will see your good works and And glorify your Father who's Mm -hmm. in heaven. It'll have a gospel impact on them. Mm -hmm. And I saw that time and time again. We had people come to Christ because I did a video about homosexuality. (laughs) And because somebody would be on the internet and they'd be questioning it. They might be someone who themselves thinks that they might be gay or something like this and they've Googled the issue. They're not Christian. They find the video and they go, gee, where'd you get that from? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they'll start a journey and start thinking. But I talked about family. My parents had a Christian family and it was the greatest witness in their life. People would come over to the home and say, what's this all about? 
who are you? Mm-hmm. And so being in the public squares like that uh, or being a, a Christian testimony in every sphere of life, that is the gospel. Mm. And we've forgotten that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so crucial to remember it. Yeah, it sounds to me, um, I, I'm curious to hear about the work that you've done in Australia because Australia is a very secular country yeah, now. Sure I mean, is. it sounds like uh, little, I'm from Washington State. Where, right, so you can sort right. of lump, you know, Washington and Oregon and California into sort of all the same the same socioeconomic, you know, very, very liberal, kind of a leftist uh, environment. You are in a very similar, probably even maybe a step uh, ahead of where we are. What is the political environment in Australia? Where do you see this going? Because it seems to me we should be paying attention to what's happening in Australia here in the United States. Yeah. And I think this partly answers the question you asked just before. Yeah. You know, in America, you still have people saying, oh, no, we, we just stick to the gospel. We don't, we don't worry about anything else. It's almost a luxury to be able to say that. Yeah. You can't really say that in Australia. Because, That's amazing yeah. to me. It's not always been that way. No, it hasn't always been that way. And the reason you can't really say it in Australia is because every day you are challenged about your convictions uh, about the issues we've been talking wow. about. So in Australia, we've got this situation where, you know, in America, there's a big talk about companies going woke. Right. Like every company in Australia is woke. (laughs) They're all woke. You can't find an airline or a bank or a a grocery store or anything that isn't woke. Uh, Also, all of the educational institutions are woke. Uh, But also there's very, very few Christian institutions over there. You you can't really just go to a Christian university. Uh, you've got to go to a mainstream secular university. Mm-hmm. There's very few Christian institutions to work in. You can't get a job at the Ark Encounter in Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go out into a secular law firm mm-hmm. and you're going to be every day standing out. Like they'll do wow. wear it purple day, come and celebrate you know, LGBT yeah. identities. Yes. And yeah. you're going to show up and be like, I'm not wearing purple. Uh, or they're yeah. going to say, hey, put your pronouns on your email signature or come to this training about acceptance of all these different lifestyles and right. ideas. Australians are constantly in the crosshairs in their daily life and they feel it, the Christians do. Mm-hmm. And they are called to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? I don't go along with this because X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And there might be some people who you talk about are like, well, that's not the gospel. Right. Well, what are they supposed to do? <laughs> right? And you wouldn't believe right. it. Yeah. Through that little testimony every day, their light shines. Yes. And that does create a gospel work in Australia. People are converted still in Australia, even though the political system is so bad. The gospel advances at that grassroots level through the individual moment by moment, day by day, situation by situation testimony of God's people. There are a lot of people listening to this right now who are frustrated at the state of politics in the United States. We're frustrated by what we see happening. Certainly, I am in our education system. And they're wondering, you know, where, where do we go from here? We listen to you talk about what's going on. Every company in Australia is woke. And sure. you start to feel like, oh, you know, um, it's, it's discouraging, right? It's depressing. What, what, do you, what do you say to the rising generation? So, for example, one of my sons said to me, you know, uh, I have a, a son who's been married for a couple of years to a NICU nurse. You guys had terrible lockdowns in Australia. I think much yeah. worse than in the United States. I mean, what, you had drones and I mean, it was, oh, I yeah. saw you on the YouTubes. <laughs> that was, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of terrifying. And my son said to me in the middle of all that, because his wife is a NICU nurse, mm. he said, I'm really tired of hearing uh, all this talk about how the world is getting worse and things are getting darker. Mm. Is there anything that you can say to encourage, to encourage us? Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good question for you. Is there are a lot of young people listening to this right now who feel this sort of sense of malaise or hopelessness. What is my role uh, in the culture right now? Mm. And what do I have to look forward to? 
How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is a very important question, and this is one of the things we tried to put front and center in our work uh, in Australia, was to give the answers and the hope that people need. Not just talk about the problems. We're not just saying, oh, it's another disaster. Oh, it's another woke thing. It's another. We were giving people answers, and we had programs with young people where we got them together and did worldview training. But importantly, uh, we sort of told them, well, what is your job in a world like this? Uh, Firstly, their understanding that they weren't alone was very powerful because they felt so alone. Uh, But it's really the job of a Daniel. And I talked about Daniel the other night here at this event. Uh, And the job of a Daniel is to realize that you are swallowed up inside a very anti-God system. Uh, And you may actually find yourself quite alone in your desire to serve God uh, and in your convictions and your beliefs. And in that aloneness, you can feel like it's all over. But what Daniel did was he just made sure that each he lived each day where every decision he had to make, every circumstance he had to enter, he just asked himself the simple question, what's the right thing to do before God in this matter? And he would always do it. And the problem young people in Australia have is they say, well, hang on, if I just do the right thing on a day like Daniel did, I'll lose my job or, or you know, my friends will ostracize me or I won't get the networks and relationships that I need to get ahead anymore, uh, and all these sorts of things. And those are the very real daily concerns that they have. The important thing for us to understand is that Daniel didn't think like that. Daniel didn't think, well, I'm going to engineer my own future and my destiny, and I'm going to compromise to get there. He said, no, I'm going to do the right thing today, and I'm going to be a witness and a testimony in in the immediate situation that God's put me in, and God will take care of the rest. And God will look after my future. I can't plan my future better than God can. I better leave it in his hands. And these, in days like this, you need God on your side. And if you want God on your side, you do what's right before God each day in each circumstance. And what we find in Australia is that those who are strong like that, like Daniel was, they actually have a very Daniel effect on their world because they're such a strong testimony to the people around them. And people get to know that they're different. And it's not easy every day, but people are coming to Christ because of that little daily witness in workplaces, in universities, and around Australia, individuals. And I say to the next generation, God knows that the society is like it is. Yeah. And he also knows who you are. You're one of his, one of his people, and he, he, he's got a job for you to do, and you can do it. He's promised that it'll work. You've got examples in Scripture. You've got examples in Australia, that's for sure. It does work, so get on and do it. Um, and that kind of message is, is very powerful, and we're seeing a real rising up of Generation Z in Australia, a really strong core of young people who know it's not going to be easy to live for Christ in this generation and this time, but they're prepared to do it. Uh, And in their preparedness to do it and they're they're stepping forward into that call, they're actually seeing real fruit born. And I have real hope that it's quite a good change coming down the line amongst Christian young people in our country. I agree with you. It's such an encouragement to me, you know, living in the Pacific Northwest and people say to me all the time, why do you still stay just outside of Portland, Oregon? You know, why don't you leave? Why don't you move to Oklahoma? Why don't you go to someplace where the battle 
isn't so fierce. Mm. And I'm I'm always amazed by it because God is at work in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely. God is at work in Australia. Absolutely. God isn't going, well, I guess, you know, I got the wrong generation for this yeah. job. You know, yeah. I have to scrap it and start over. Oh. It's an incredible time to learn to be the salt and light that we have been called to be by scripture. And what a thrilling time to be a Christian, right? Absolutely. It's a thrilling time. And you mentioned the salt and light passage, and there's a really important point to make there, which is that Jesus starts, before he mentions salt and light, he's talking about persecution. Mm -hmm. And he's basically like, you know, you're going to be reviled. People are going to be disgusted by you. People are going to get angry by you. You'll be insulted uh, for my sake. You You may lose your life. Exactly. You may lose your life. Uh, And in our day, it's, you know, was losing jobs and stuff, which is comparatively mild. Yes. But he's saying that people are going to be mad at you. People are not going to like you. You're going to face all these challenges and everyone's going, oh, gee, I'm not really, that's terrible. But then he goes, but if you'll be the salt and if you'll be the light, right, what happens? People see your good works and glorify your father. So you're up against the wall going, oh, no, what am I going to do? But he's like, no, there's hope. There's a way forward. And you can turn this around. And I will say that the the persecution, the hostility, the angry people who are up in your face, they can really discourage you and they can deceive you into thinking that that's all there is. Mm. They can deceive you into thinking that the angry uh, opposition is all there is. I tell you now, we've had some angry opposition in Australia. I mean, we had our office car bombed. We've had some crazy stuff. But through the work that we have done, we have seen the gospel go forward and quietly God has reached and changed lives through what we've been doing. And I want to give people that encouragement. And I think that's there in that Matthew 5 passage. Angry opposition, quiet advancement of the kingdom. Mm. And even in the Pacific Northwest, even in Australia, I tell you from firsthand experience and from meeting thousands of people, that is definitely happening. Yeah, it is. And people can be uh, encouraged. And I, I, I think and I want to end on this because I think it's so important. The Bible tells us in the Psalms that our days have been already ordained for us. Mm, right? right. When I was running for Congress, I had my life threatened. I mean, all kinds of crazy things were happening. And I was running in a Republican primary, right? And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm ready for the Democrats. I'm ready for this liberal opposition. I wasn't ready for opposition from my own party, from people who I thought okay. that we were on the same team. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I That's went out of my- hardest opposition to do the with. hardest yeah. opposition. Yeah. I went out of my driveway uh, one day and, you know, you got to find me. I'm out on three acres. You don't just drive by my house. And there was a broken wine bottle on my mailbox and the wine uh, label said retribution on it. And it scared me. And I called my friend, Pastor Rob McCoy, and I was, I just wanted someone to feel sorry for me. You know, I just was like, it's so hard out here. It's so hard. He said, are you done? Are you done? And I thought, yes, I'm definitely done. And he said, he said, uh, Heidi, he said, did you really think you're going to step out onto the front lines and Satan was just going to leave you alone? He said, you are who God said you are. God has put you here for such a time as this. And whether it's COVID or a car accident or running for uh, uh, Congress, you're not going home a day before the Lord of Heaven's armies has already decreed it. So walk this out without fear. And I think once we realize our our times belong to the Lord, our lives belong to Him, we're here to give Him glory. It does remove the fear and allows us to walk out the purpose that God has for our life. Exactly. And there's nothing like the knowledge uh, that you are doing a work that God has given you to do. And there's nothing like having that conviction uh, that, you know, there is an answer to the world's needs and you've got it. Uh, And when you're given a way to advance that, there's nothing like it. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't take anything else, you know, yeah. in all the world no, to replace it. No. Uh, though there's hard days, as you say, yeah. but there's also great blessing. That's exactly right. Well, Martin Niles, you are just a treasure. Ken was right. He said that you wouldn't disappoint and you have. not <laughs> He put you way up here and you have not disappointed. I am so it's encouraged. Uh, I know. And I, I know our listeners are really encouraged as well. Where can people find you online? Oh, I have a Facebook page, uh, Martin Isles. Uh, it's a public figure page. I'm also on Instagram and I also have a YouTube account. 
Facebook's where I do the most activity, but you can follow me on any of those platforms. I love that. Martin Niles, thank you for joining me at the Off the Bench podcast. Let's thank do it you, again. Holly. Yeah, we will. I just need to come to Australia next time. I mean, we're working on it. You should come to Australia and I should teach you Australian slang. Yes. And oh, uh, then you could integrate like a local. Excellent. And we'll do a podcast. Excellent. How's I love that? that. A little Australian slang right here at the Heidi St. John podcast. I hope you guys have been encouraged by this and blessed as I have been. Go out into wherever God has you today. Be the salt and light that God has called you to be. Love your people well. And I'll see you right back here again at the intersection of faith and culture.